Welcome back, everybody. CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. And Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish T-R-I. C-H-E on the Twitter machine. He has a baby. He takes one week off. He's right back off of no sleep from the top rope. Xavier is back. Xavier, we're all curious. Baby's doing good. Mama's doing good. Everything good in your world? Yeah, no, everything's great. I can't complain right now. Um, yeah, I've got no reason to complain. College football has been immaculate. This last weekend was absolutely fantastic for every reason except for one. And we'll get to it when we talk about the top six. Yeah, uh, so much fun this weekend. Uh, was great. I hope you guys all had a great Thanksgiving. And we are on our way into bowl season. Just one stop on the conference championship. Uh, you know, a week left, and then the Army Navy game, of course. I'm not sure what the schedule is. Are we are we doing a show next week? We're gonna throw Army Navy in here, Nick. What are we doing? Ooh, uh, that's something we probably should have discussed before, before hitting this record. Second? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I I gotta be honest. I was I was gonna say that that there maybe is a chance I wouldn't be able to record next week. Uh, have some family uh, visiting and some okay. logistics to take care of. So uh, we'll see to be, it's a hard maybe we'll, for next week. So yeah, yeah. So I'm actually we, personally leaning. No, but, but we'll okay. see. I mean, there's, I'm, there's going to be a ton of news. A uh, bunch of coaches probably will be hired. So yes. it, it would be good if, if I can figure out uh, how to organize things so that we can. Uh, It'll for sure be shorter oh, if we yeah, have one next yeah, week. Yeah. So uh, but but let's review week 13 and, and I mean this with you know only 12 games 13 games whatever it is left on the the schedule before bowls we have so much news it's unbelievable first of all let's just go through week uh, 13 Thursday and Friday treated us to nail-biting uh, rivalry games between Mississippi State beating Ole Miss FSU surviving Florida North Carolina being upset by NC State and wins for Arizona, Missouri, Nebraska. Saturday, the story of the day was Michigan beating Ohio State. The Buckeyes had opportunities, uh, but um, they built an early lead, but the Wolverines came back. It was a great game. Tulane also secured their spot in the AAC championship game with a win over Cincinnati. Oregon State uh, sparked a monumental comeback to, uh, to win over Oregon 38-34 to knock the Ducks out of the Pac-12 title game. Utah will take on USC after an easy win against Colorado, uh, you know, and Washington's win in the Apple Cup. The Trojans beat Notre Dame 38-27 to stay alive in the CFP race. Kay Williams looks like he is going to win the Heisman. Now got a lot of momentum this last month and um, looks like he's the leader now. K-State won, so they're going to be in the Big 12 championship game. They beat Kansas 47-27. The Wildcats uh, will face still undefeated TCU, who smacked Iowa State 62-14. One of the few games I got right in my last week of my article was taking TCU there. Um, And LSU will take on Georgia. Um, uh, They beat Georgia Tech 37-14 in uh, what is it? Clean, good old fashioned hate in yep. that game that we were talking about last week. That was a fun one. Uh, but the Tigers were um, uh, beaten okay. by a disappointing Texas A&M squad. So that was uh, super surprising. So, Nick, uh, let's just talk about week 13 first. The last week of the regular season really uh, had a lot of peaks and valleys here. So uh, just your overall thoughts on week 13. Well, like you said, Thursday and Friday, all the games were were just a ton of fun 
to watch. And we saw some upsets. We saw some close calls, um, a lot of you know, well-played rivalry games, the Tulane-Cincinnati game, which I realized right after we hung up last week because you and I were just sort of uh, free-flowing a little bit while Xavier was away, and, and we forgot mm-hmm. to even talk about that game. Uh, but, of course, you know, conference title shot on the line. Tulane gets the win. Um, if they hadn't, would Luke Fickle still be at Cincinnati as they're preparing, you know, would have been preparing for a conference championship game? Um, you know, Texas got a win over Baylor, a little bit closer than that final score would indicate. Uh, but then on Saturday, you know, not not as many um, just absolutely – you know, nail-biting games, but that Oregon-Oregon State game certainly was. South Carolina with the upset over Clemson um, was in that category for sure. Uh, you know, Michigan and Ohio State was was tight for the most part. And, yeah, Ohio State, it looked like uh, early on maybe had a, had a chance to um, maybe not put Michigan away, but to, you know, put a little – uh, distance there, but weren't able to capitalize. Michigan uh, just wore them down in the second half. You know, certainly looked like the tougher team, uh, basically, and and you know, rode some big plays in the second half. Donovan Edwards, huge, huge game. Cornelius Johnson, you know, huge plays. Um, gigantic win for Michigan, and and you know, all credit to them. Certainly, knocked off as we discussed last week. You know, Ohio State had been holding strong at, at number one in our power rankings for uh, really most of the season, um, but Michigan absolutely earned it. Great, great win for them. Um, you know, K State cemented their spot in the conference championship game. They'll be TCU's final test to see if they're able to get through undefeated. Um, and, you know, like I said, fewer uh, real nail biters, but some interesting results. One that kind of stuck out to me. We didn't really discuss it last week, but um, Coastal Carolina played James Madison. Coastal Carolina had uh, already earned it or, well, maybe earned not the right word, had already uh, gained its spot in the Sun Belt championship game because James Madison's not eligible in their first year. Uh, but James Madison beat Coastal Carolina without Grayson McCall, but still 47 to seven. Pretty incredible there. Uh, You know, Coastal Carolina limping into the Sunbelt championship game this week against Troy, as I'm sure we'll discuss. Um, But for the the final week of the entire, you know, FBS uh, schedule being played out, it was just incredibly enjoyable. A lot, you know, decided a lot, um, uh, of drama, uh, just a, a really, really enjoyable week altogether. Xavier, uh, your thoughts on week 13 and everything you got to watch this weekend, of course, obviously uh, a little preoccupied, but what w- your, your takeaway from this week, what, what stands out to you the most? Yeah. I mean, rivalry week always, it never disappoints ever. Yeah. You know, there were so many good games, right? I'll just run down a couple of them to get our weekend started, right? Mississippi State beating Mississippi, okay? 24-22 with all the things going on at Ole Miss at the time. Uh, Mississippi State and Mike Leach, once again, finished the season strong, 8-4. Both teams finished 8-4. Tulane beating Cincinnati in a good one. Um, NC State beating UNC with with the the second coming of a Finley, 
You know, now Ben Finley instead of Ryan Finley. Maybe they've got the second, you know, their, their new quarterback is just, you know, a reincarnation of the old one, right? Uh, you know, on a performance that, you know, I, I think thoroughly NC State deserved in overtime. Uh, UCLA comes back to beat Cal. Uh, Florida State and Florida was a game that neither team looked like they wanted to win. Uh, but Florida State ended up pulling it out 45 to 38, right? Uh, and then obviously we get to Saturday and we start off with a bang. Michigan handles Ohio State. I mean, handles them. Uh, 45-23 in a fashion that I did not expect. If I was on the podcast last week, I would have said the difference would have been the quarterback play. And J.J. McCarthy outplayed C.J. Stroud. Uh, he was extremely impressive in the top, in the shots that he took last week. Uh, you know, Ohio State did everything right in that first half, right? Holding Michigan, I think, to under 20 yards in that first half. Uh, they did everything they were supposed to do, and, they, and Michigan still, you know, looked in command. And, and that, in my opinion, was outside of Georgia shellacking Oregon first week of the year, that's the most impressive win of any team this year. I don't care who, you know, where, who else has an argument. But for Michigan to do that in the shoe, uh, you know, on the road, um, you know, with obviously a college football playoff berth and possibly on the line, we'll see what happens this week. And obviously a Big Ten championship berth on the line. That was an extremely impressive performance. Uh, Clemson puts their foot in their mouth. And losing to South Carolina, uh, you know, now all the Clemson fans who say that they can come to the SEC and compete, that one falls on deaf ears after losing to a South Carolina team. That probably ended two seasons in back-to-back weeks. Uh, perform, you know, uh, and it's Shane Beamer winning with Beamer Bowl. I mean, they won by special teams play. Their special teams was amazing. Spencer Rattler was okay, but he also had a pick six. Uh, he also threw a pick in the red zone. Uh, you know, so he wasn't great. And, and but their punting was amazing. Their 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 punt return, their kickoff return, gave them a good field position. They made Clemson go ninety yards plus like four times. I, they forced Clemson to be a perfect ball club this week, uh, last week offensively, and you know they, they got it done. You alluded to it. Oregon State, Oregon might have been the best game of the weekend. I mean, that was just ridiculous. You had a, a dropped punt. You had Oregon State scoring twenty eight unanswered. Uh, it was just you know amazing. And then you had Oregon with you know the final drive of the game get down to the red zone and lose it on a fourth and goal, right? Uh, so what an impressive performance by Oregon State. This is a team that continues to trend upward, nine and three. Uh, and I love what they've got going there in Corvallis. Uh, the finish up, and the finish up. I'll, I'll go. I'll hit a couple of upsets. A um, and beating LSU. The way in which they did it was was the most impressive thing. Uh, you know, A and M, for all intents and purposes, had been down, out, beaten. You know, they were done. But this freshman class, I want to give a quick kudos to them. They played their butts off down the stretch. Connor Wegman and company, uh, even Devin A. Chain. I know he's not part of the freshman class, but he played his butt off down the stretch here. Uh, you know, uh, Evan Stewart, that receiving core, they figured themselves out a little bit offensively going forward. Uh, now, whether or not that'll be able to stay, obviously you've got so many guys already in the transfer portal. It's one thing, but you look at the way that they play down the stretch and you've got a bright future there down there in Texas A&M if they could keep it. Um, and my favorite weird game of the week, South Florida and UCF. What a weird Weird game. UCF ends up winning at 46-39 on a one-handed TD grab. I mean, that was amazing. On the flip side, South Florida, who scored, who was down 28 to 7 at half times, scores 22 points in the third quarter to take the lead at one point. Like it was just, I, I don't know how you draw up a game like that. But that that is if I, if I was an AAC, you know, board of director, I'd be like, hey, look. This is the game we need to show of how fun this conference can be at times because this was great, and it had the ending in which, obviously, the AAC would have loved, which was keeping their ranked teams ranked. So 
what a game from a team in South Florida who was came in last week one in ten. They didn't play like a one in ten ball club. I tell you that much. Uh, but yeah, that was my favorite weird game that that kind of popped in late, and everybody I was like, "What? UCF took the lead? <laughs> are, we, are we kidding? This isn't basketball." Okay, yeah, let's let's watch this. So yeah. <laughs> Uh, what what do they call that one, uh, Nick? It's at the war on uh, I four I four the war on I four. I knew it rhymed. I was trying to figure it out, uh, but the war on I four. So yeah, uh, definitely rivalry week is always great. Um, but I mean, we have nuclear fallout from the end of the season. Literally, I mean, it's like uh, you know, coaches get immediately fired, immediately hired. I mean, we had Lane Kiffin was all but gone to Auburn. Uh, at some point last week, you know what I mean? And obviously that's not going to happen. Um, but first of all, we got a lot of transfers, a lot of guys going into the portal. Nick, you said the window doesn't open till week or December 5th, right? Is that correct? Uh, officially for all of FBS. Okay. There, you, you, there is a 30 day window if uh, like a, a coach is fired or, or leave. So um, some guys like, you know, uh, Western Michigan's Corey Crooms entered uh, late this afternoon. Since Tim Lester was fired, I believe Crooms is able to, you know, officially go in. Uh, USF, you know, those those teams um, that are dealing with head coaching changes, um, those players, I think, are able to, to enter basically immediately. Um, but for a lot of the, the players who announced, you know, in the last week, um, as long as their head coach is still, uh, in place and they're not a graduate, I think maybe graduate transfers also are able to, to go in a little early. I'm, I'm still learning. They, they changed the rules, you know? Yeah. So uh, is everybody. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but December 5th is a day to know that's, that's when we expect will be, uh, just craziness. So, yeah, I mean, uh, even more than what we have now and we have, a lot now. I mean, we have uh, Daniel Nagata uh, from Arizona State uh, going on. Tyree Chambers is a good wideout from FIU is moving on. Thomas Gore from Georgia State, the nose guard. Um, Connor Basilak, uh, Alex Padilla, Byron Cardwell from Oregon. Uh, Christian Valu from uh, Penn State. Hudson Card from Texas. Um, just tons and tons of names uh, are moving on. Who stood out to you the most? of the transfers so far, Nick? Well, one thing that I've done and, and folks who use our FBS team profiles probably know um, we do have an FBS transfer updates tab where I try to keep track of, you know, the most notable names. Uh, I try to include basically every quarterback because, you know, guys like Hudson card, that's, that's a big one. He didn't start this year, obviously for Texas, but um, uh, you know, chances are, and already you're seeing some, uh, speculation, oh, is he headed to Oklahoma State if Spencer Sanders leaves? Uh, you know, he, he's going to be highly sought after. But guys like Christian Villieu from, you know, Penn State, and, and uh, we saw a, a Sunbelt starting quarterback, Chandler Rogers from ULM, go into the portal. So um, I, I do try to, to track, you know, quarterbacks as much as possible. Uh, Cade McNamara, you know, led Michigan to a playoff uh, spot last year, Big Ten Championship. He's officially in the portal now. Um, Luke Altmeyer, who sounded like, you know, took Jackson Dart to, to you know, basically the eve of, of uh, the season kicking off for that job. Uh, he's in the portal. Uh, Texas State, you know, 
disappointing on the field. Uh, but Jake Spavital fired, you know, this week and, and a lot of their, basically their best players uh, across, you know, every position uh, are in the portal, including Lane Hatcher, the, the quarterback. Um, but guys like Ashton Hawkins, who, you know, really had a, a big year um, as a receiver for them. Levi Bell, the defensive lineman had a big year. Jerron Morris has been an all Sun Belt performer. So, you know, there are certainly some, guys who are going to have high profile opportunities like Hudson Card, but, um, you know, players like Antonio Greer Jr., who uh, is just a tackling machine at, at USF, entered the transfer portal, you know, his teammate, uh, uh, Jimmy Horn Jr., entered, entered the portal uh, earlier on Tuesday. Guys like that who maybe are not household names, but are probably going to have an opportunity to maybe move up to the power of five level. Some of them, you know, Gore being one of those, Thomas Gore has been an incredibly productive interior defensive lineman at Georgia state and, you know, offensive linemen, defensive linemen are going to be just as highly sought after as quarterbacks. So um, maybe you don't know all these names now and, and there's going to be <laughs> too many names probably uh, for, for, you know, most of us to, to keep track of um, once things really get, you know, going full speed here in about a week. Uh, but some of the players that are entering the transfer portal now, whether they're, you know, power five, former, you know, five or four star guys or players who, um, you know, have, have played key roles at Sunbelt schools or even FCS schools, you know, the Mac, where have you, um, might find their way into some big, uh, you know, some big spots in, in 2023. So it's certainly something to, uh, keep an eye on, see where all these guys end up. Uh, Xavier, when you look at the transfers, is, is there one or two that stands out to you above the rest? Yeah, Jeff Sims leaving Georgia Tech is number one on that list. Uh, that is a kid who not only is, was extremely talented coming out of high school, but he also won uh, on the normal All-American MVP. Uh, this is a guy who was expected to come to Georgia Tech and kind of revolutionize that roster, but just wasn't and just didn't. Um, he's got, in my opinion, he has the kind of air around him or will in the transfer portal, similarly to that of Cam Ward. Uh, maybe not from a statistics standpoint, but from an athletics, uh, an athleticism basis um, and what he's looked like at times at Georgia Tech. Yeah, a lot of teams are going to be excited about possibly bringing him his services. Um, he also falls kind of in that Michael Penix range range as well, too. You know, had a really good year two years ago. Uh, last year, obviously, he wasn't great. Also dealt with some injuries. Um, and then this year, obviously, kind of things just fell apart. But, you know, I, I also dealt with injuries this year as well. So I just feel like he's a guy who has a ton of untapped potential. But you put him in the right position, cough, cough, UCLA. He might be able to have a really, really good game, a really good year for them. Uh, you know, with Dorian Thompson Robinson leaving, you're looking for another athletic quarterback that can run their system. There you go. Uh, obviously, K McNamara is, McNamara is another one for me. Much more of a little bit, you know, less of an athlete as as JJ McCarthy, which is why Michigan obviously gave JJ McCarthy the job. But this is a guy who can sling the pill. He could move the ball down the field. He can definitely make plays with his feet if necessary. Uh, but just a little bit less mobile, right? Uh, this is a guy who I think is going to have a ton of attention um, in and around the Big Ten. I would not be surprised if he ends up at Wisconsin with Luke Fickle. Just saying, mm. uh, you know, I, I think that this is a guy who has shown you he has the ability to win games and win games at a high level. Remember, he was a starting quarterback for Michigan last year when they got to the playoff as well. So I think this is a guy who has the who has the, the pedigree to be, you know, to slot right into a big university that is looking for more of a revamp at the quarterback position and probably and probably needs it. Uh, we got a lot of coaches moving oh, as well. Yeah. 
and we're getting I'm already getting excited for the coach draft, even though Xavier just dominates us in, in that one uh, the last couple seasons. But uh, Nebraska got their guy in Matt Rule. So we know that Nick is super excited about Matt Rule returning back to college football. I mean, landing spots a little weird. It's a tough place. It's kind of like the Panthers of college football. So I don't know, Nick. You know? I don't know what that means. Uh, but it's so, so I was a big fan of Matt Rule uh, at Baylor. Uh, really liked a lot of the stuff that they were doing recruiting wise. Um, there were, you know, some, some stories, some great reporting done kind of, you know, showing uh, some of the outside of the box thinking that they did, you know, their, their profile of, uh, the type of athlete that they were going after, maybe not, you know, the best football player necessarily, but they figured, Hey, we'll get the, um, you know, the most athletic guy fits the certain mold and, and can coach them up into great football players. And it worked at Baylor. Um, however, a lot has changed in a relatively short time since Matt rule left college football. Uh, not only have there been, you know, plenty of people out there who've copied some of the better things that he and his staff did at Baylor. Um, but you know, now all the, the things we've been talking about the last three years, uh, transfer portal and, and, you know, NIL stuff, all that, uh, there's going to be a little bit of a, a learning curve. Matt rules stepping back into a different, uh, college football than the one he left. Um, I'm, you know, intrigued. I, I'm I'm very curious to see how you know well he does. Uh, certainly has a track record in college football of of building programs. You know that Temple program he took over uh, was it a, a bit of a low point after you know some solid uh, coaches had had come through there, uh, but he was able to get them up and and competitive very very quickly. Uh, Baylor you know took a year or so, but was able to get them to the Big Twelve championship. Uh, you know, his, his final year there. So can he, you know, recapture some of what made him such a good program builder earlier in his career? We'll see. I'm, I'm actually not as optimistic as maybe I thought I would be, or, or I would want to be. Um, Nebraska's become a hard job. I mean, it's absolutely one of the uh, premier programs in college football history. Um but it's it's a tough job now, you know. Uh, not not very easy to recruit there. Not a you know he, he's he's got Texas uh, connections now, and he's going to have to to lean on those from his Baylor days. But you know that was something sort of baked in to that job. Baylor in a you know uh, hundred miles in any direction. How many Division One college football players are you going to run into? How many? you know, in a hundred mile radius uh, of Lincoln, Nebraska, are, are you going to run into? So it's, it's going to be very, very different. So uh, I'm, I'm curious to see. Uh, I think it's a, a, a fit on paper looked like maybe the, the, you know, best option for Nebraska. Um, but I, I truly have no idea how it's going to work out. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, kind of leaning toward, Maybe it won't <laughs> just because no, so much is no. different. And, and, you know, Nebraska hasn't won uh, consistently in a while. And, you know, there, there are some reasons for that. Very, very difficult conference. Uh, the location, you know, has, has some hurdles there. 
Um, but at least they're adding UC, we'll uh, USC and UCLA soon. So sure, that's yeah. I make it way easier, right? <laughs> uh, Xavier, your thoughts on Matt Rule going to Nebraska? I know you had uh, some walking, decent opinions. Yeah, he's so. walking into a dumpster fire. Like, this is not a place that he – it feels very reminiscent, to be honest with you, of Pruitt when he moved to Tennessee. He's walking okay. into an organization. He's walking into a, a, a university that is expecting him to clean up years and years and years of neglect. And if anybody has ever gone and tried to revamp a house with years of neglect, all of a sudden you figure out the wiring was done incorrectly. The plumbing is bad. There's a load bearing wall that needs to be replaced. And that's going to cost you an arm and a leg. Oh, and by the way, the septic tank out back doesn't work. Like this is where you're at. With with this <laughs> in this university right now, there's there's not much in the coffin. Like let's be honest, what is really at Nebraska for him to hang his hat on that he's going to be walking into that he knows for a fact this is going to be okay? Or I have a you know a uh, a reliable you know source right now that I can walk in day one and rely on them to be good, even if and, and focus on everything else. There isn't. Not only that, but you're playing in a conference that's not going to get any easier, that is getting better around you every single year. Heck, Illinois was ranked this season, right? There's teams that are figuring themselves out. Wisconsin just went and got fickle. Uh, Michigan State had a, a down year with Mel Tucker, but who's to say that they can't go 8-4, and 9-3 and three next year? Purdue's going to be in the, in the Big Ten championship game this year. You are behind, extremely behind. And so for Matt Rule, he kind of has to go in with the idea that he's not going to be able to fix it in one year. He's not going to be able to fix it in two years. It's going to take three to four years before this team is back to being a reliable com or being competitive in that conference at a, you know, at a marginally high level. I'm not saying they're going to be a Michigan State or, I'm sorry, a Penn State, Ohio State, or a Michigan. But if you can be that fourth or fifth team, okay. Like, that is what he has to aim for. My only problem is that university has not given anybody a leash to really do that. Or and honestly, I I think Matt's probably gonna go there, maybe have a, a one solid season. But honestly, I think he'll be out in the next four to five years just because I don't think the university is doing a good enough job to aid the coach in his you know uh, you know attempt to bring Nebraska back to his glory days. A I mean, of a, a Freudian slip there. I, I think you meant coffers, and you said yes, coffin. Yeah, yeah no <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I cannot believe that I am the most positive on Matt Rule going to Nebraska. <laughs> hey, it might work. I mean, it might uh, work. Look, I, I think it's just so coach. less restrictive in, in college football than it is in the NFL. In the NFL, you have to have good players. And he went there, you know, right as they're looking for a quarterback, and they have a big mess of Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield and nothing, uh, P.J. Walker, you know, um, the – uh, it, it was nasty. They drafted offensive linemen for him. I, he was overwhelmed. It was too much at the NFL level for him. He's already repaired a program. Baylor was going through some nasty legal stuff off the field when he came in for Baylor, and he fixed them right up. So I don't really doubt Matt Rule on the collegiate level. I think you know being able to recruit instead of uh, you know pay players is much better for him in this scenario. So. I cannot believe that of the three of us, because I watched him the most the last couple of years out of anyone yeah, here with yeah. the, the Panthers, uh, that I I think that he can come back and have success with Nebraska. I mean, you know, it's a tall task, as Xavier and you, Nick, bo both mentioned, because the team has been so bad for so long. But I, I think in uh, in the NCAA, you know, 
if you, they give him four years, he can he can change contract. this whole thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, every <laughs> stupid coach has an eight-year contract <laughs> no, five, I, three I, years into it. So yeah, it's um, you know, if they give him four years, I think he'll have success. What is success in in the Big Ten now with all these uh, great solid teams? I don't know, but uh, we'll see what happens there. Yeah, we had a one. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say one one final thought for me. Uh, one of his first moves sounds like he's te- uh, going after somebody he has a, a history with, so it makes some sense. But um, the offensive coordinator from South Carolina, Satterfield, who a lot of people there mm-hmm. uh, kind of fed up with a, a little bit the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, notwithstanding. Um, but that was a, a little bit of an eye roll, like, a, oh, okay, you have an opportunity <laughs> to come in, make a splash. You know, kind of like he did in the NFL, went and got Joe Brady, who everybody thought was, you know, exactly. the greatest thing. It didn't work out there, but um, you know, just just uh, kind of seems like wants to get the band back together, wants to, you know, it's 2017 again, and and it's not. So we'll we'll see. Yeah, we'll we'll see. I mean, uh, scouting, uh, like you said, in Nebraska, a little more difficult uh, than than a lot of other places. But it's a big school. A lot of other uh, coaching changes. Obviously, Hugh Freeze going um, to Auburn after we heard Lane Kiffin for a big part of that at Wisconsin. We thought that maybe Jim Leonard was going to get that job, but uh, Luke Fickle is moving on over to Wisconsin. Very interesting hire there. Uh, Kenny Dillingham is going to go coach the Arizona uh, State Sun Devils. Uh, So they get their new head coach. Uh, Tulane head coach Willie Fritz had reportedly been negotiating for the job, but instead Georgia Tech announced that interim head coach Brent Key has been promoted to the full-time gig. And though he has not been officially hired uh, elsewhere, um, Jackson State head coach Deion Sanders has reportedly had discussions with both Colorado and USF, and apparently USF has already offered him the job, but he is still debating. Maybe he wants to go to Power Five, take that big jump first. Colorado's an awful roster, uh, but uh, lots of coaching changes, and this will not be the final ones. We will have more um, going into the offseason at some point here. But uh, Nick, your thoughts on uh, any of the the most recent coaching moves? Uh, well, I mean, the Wisconsin move was probably the most surprising. Um, you know, Luke Fickle had, had sort of been uh, entrenched at Cincinnati, uh, had sort of sounded like had plenty of opportunities to leave and, and go on to bigger jobs. But then Cincinnati, of course, moving to the Big 12 next year, um, it's becoming a bigger, bigger and bigger job on its own, uh, had been you know, speculated that that maybe one of a handful of Big Ten uh, openings might might be the only thing that would entice him uh, to leave, and apparently Wisconsin was was on that list. So uh, it's it's intriguing. I was surprised that Leonard wasn't promoted. Sounded like you know there was a lot of momentum for him. They basically you know set it up for him to to have that opportunity by sort of getting baby, you know, basically a half season tryout uh, and sounded like it had gone well enough to the you know point where, uh, what was it on Saturday? There were reports that, oh yeah, it's, it's basically going to be a done deal um, come next week. And then Sunday, all of a sudden uh, it, it's fickle. So um, that one looks like a fit on paper. Uh, fickle, you know, it had really ramped up Cincinnati's recruiting in recent years they were consistently the best 
G5 uh, recruiter uh, over the last maybe half decade. Um, they were getting more and more four stars. You know, this, this past class was uh, really off the charts. And, um, you know, Wisconsin is, is a program where um, they haven't necessarily recruited really, really well, uh, had, had ticked up a bit, you know, a few years ago, started to come back down the last couple of cycles. Um, but one thing that Fickle did incredibly well, I mean, was, was find, uh, NFL players, you know, guys who are, are making waves in the NFL, uh, now who maybe weren't, you know, super highly recruited coming out of high school, but was a good, you know, uh, finder of talent and then also developer uh, of talent. So uh, if he's able to, to continue that, you know, Wisconsin, I think, is, is going to have a pretty high ceiling uh, under Fickle. Um, the Hugh Freeze to Auburn, I mean, it, it yeah, I guess, you know, I mean, he's, <laughs> he's won everywhere he's been, uh, certainly brings a, a little bit of, uh, drama with him sometimes and and Auburn that's basically baked in so it, it it'll be uh you know fun to watch I'm sure for for better or worse you know seems like uh you know Hugh Freeze can can pretty consistently uh build a roster uh can win football games but the last couple of times I mean it's it's sort of spun a little bit out of control there toward the end. Obviously at Ole Miss, you know, had some off the field things, but um, also some, you know, recruiting uh, violations, which probably won't be as big of an issue uh, these days. But, you know, I, I tweeted this out uh, once the news was official that, that Freeze was going to Auburn uh, because I had done a couple of, you know, coach rankings uh, posts and in, in, in the past. Um, when I update our team pro or excuse me, uh, team performance numbers every Monday, if I have a little bit of time, I, I go through and, and like to look at how that affects our, you know, coach ratings, uh, to see which group of five coaches are, are, you know, moving up the list, which coordinators are moving up the list, because those are some of the names that often get linked to, uh, some of these open jobs and basically all year, Hugh Freeze was, a fringe top 10 coach in our coach ratings in college football, uh, you know, graded really, really well at Ole Miss. It actually graded pretty well um, at Liberty, you know, the last few years. Uh, but their three game losing streak, including just getting absolutely blown out by New Mexico state last week, uh, he fell into the mid forties and, you know, he had been the number one group of five coach, pretty much by a mile. Uh, and then, you know, by the time he left was 11th and, and would have been 12th if Fickle were, were still uh, at Cincinnati. So, um, it, it, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, we shall see. But that one on some levels makes perf perfect sense, uh, but also has, you know, we'll have plenty of opportunity to just end – uh, just spectacularly poorly, uh, but we'll see. You know, Dillingham it's at ASU for sure. Dillingham at ASU, it's hard as a first-time head coach. It's hard when you're 32 years old or whatever he is. Um, the first thing he did was hire a couple of 
uh, staff members from a one in 10 FCS program, Idaho state that he has ties to. It's hard to build a staff when you're, you know, that young don't have as many, uh, as many, uh, connections maybe, or, or, you know, guys who are willing to, to follow you be interesting to see, you know, what that looks like. Um, the, the Georgia tech news, I think makes sense. Brent Key had done an incredible job of uh, really, you know, avoiding disaster um, for, you know, first and foremost. But then secondly, Georgia Tech was a much, much, much more competitive team under uh, Key's leadership than they had been under Jeff Collins. Um, sometimes interim coaches work. Debo Sweeney was the interim head coach, got promoted. Um, we shall see. At, at worst, you know, if it doesn't work out, maybe after a couple of years, you, you might have a, a opportunity if you're Georgia Tech to to really make a run at, at you know, a bigger name. It didn't seem like maybe there was just that uh, perfect fit this go round, but it, it certainly could work. He's you know from Georgia Tech, went there, uh, was a key member of that staff and really helped correct some things um, after Collins was fired. So I, I'm, you know, fairly optimistic. I think Willie Fritz would have been a great hire. Uh, but I think there's an opportunity there for, for you know, key to at least uh, be a stabilizing force like he was this year, carry it over for, for, you know, at least a couple of more years. And then who knows, maybe, maybe they really will get things going, get things rolling under him. Um, I, like everyone else, am just absolutely fascinated with wherever Deion Sanders ends up. Yeah. Uh, there's a possibility, certainly, that he could stay at Jackson State. Um, but, you know, he he said uh, publicly, yeah, Colorado offered me the job. Uh, he's been linked to USF. Um, you know, there's a little bit of a discussion to have, I guess, as, as to which of those two jobs is actually the better one right now. Colorado, an incredibly difficult job, has turned into that. You mentioned the roster. Uh, but, you know, if he wants a power five opportunity uh, immediately, that's the only one right now. So um, unless something kind of opens up unexpectedly, uh, that would be his his biggest, you know, high profile opportunity, perhaps. USF, certainly, you know, plenty of, of uh, uh, talent uh, nearby that he'd be able to recruit, probably could get USF, you know, up and running pretty quickly, I would expect, and competitive in a new look AAC. But I, I'm kind of, man, I, I, I really would like to see uh, him take on the, the challenge of rebuilding Colorado. Um, but wherever he ends up, and, and might not be just these two, might be you know others uh, that are in the mix for uh, Deion Sanders. But I am just fascinated wherever he goes. I, I am going to be kind of glued to to you know my seat to see what sort of transfers he's going to bring in, what sort of recruits he's going to bring in, what staff. Uh, he's going to be able to build. Uh, it will absolutely be, you know, a, a fascinating uh, journey. Um, you know, however it shakes out. I mean, he's bringing in some of the best recruits at the FCS level. So uh, would be really excited to see him, like you said, at Colorado. Uh, but I don't know if I'm Dion. I don't know if I want to take Colorado. I think I might want to wait for something bigger to come up. But uh, Xavier, which one of these, um, you know, do you have a real good feeling about or a real bad feeling about any of them? Or are you look lukewarm on most of them? I feel just as good about Fickle as I did about Leipold going to Kansas. 
This is okay. a guy who I genuinely think will have Wisconsin back at the top of their uh, of their division or are competing for the Big Ten championship game within the next three seasons. I think Wisconsin has not done anything terrible to blow up that university. Uh, they have, you know, to, to what Nick said earlier, they the coffers are actually still pretty full up there. Uh, you know, they just needed a new direction. I think that Paul Christ, they got out of the, you know, the, the former coaching regime as a whole now, getting rid of Chris. And I think that now by bringing in Fickle, he's going to bring in some new ideas, bring in some new flavor a little bit. Uh, obviously, I think he's going to also bring them into maybe the, you know, the this current generation of offense, which should help them out a little bit as well. Uh, this is a guy who obviously made Cincinnati into a powerful program at the G5 level. And I think with Wisconsin, outside of like what rule um, in Nebraska, Wisconsin is going to back Fickle. Fickle it was is, is probably arguably going into this offseason the hottest name in college football. He's one of, if not the hottest name. So after what he's done at Cincinnati, taking them to the playoff a season ago, uh, almost taking them to another AAC championship this year, uh, but just not having enough time at the end of the day, you give that guy any kind of genuine backing, which Wisconsin will, he's going to turn that team into, uh, in my opinion, a really good team. Uh, it's similarly it just not, you know, with Leipold, we did at Kansas, but what Pelini has uh, uh, done at Illinois, uh, not Pelini, I'm sorry, but, you know, uh, what they, what's happened at Illinois as well, getting that program to take leaps and bounds in short amount of time is because that head coach knows what he wants and is going to go out there and get what he wants. Um, and I think that's going to be huge for him. I'm actually extremely excited to see Dillingham at Arizona State. Uh, they need fresh blood. They need to get everybody out of there, right? Clean house and bring in a guy who has been good enough. You know, obviously he's rather young, but I think right now that university can take that kind of a, a swing on a young guy. Uh, they, they went out and got the seasoned veteran, Herm Edwards, um, you know, and it didn't obviously turn out, you know, to their expectation. But bringing a guy like Kenny, I think he has a lot of respect around college football. And it's just going to take him maybe a couple of years to figure out how to win as a head coach, what do what to do and what not to do. But he's going to have time at Arizona State. I see them being very similar to what Oregon State has had to build over the last four to five years where they finally are getting to a place now where they can compete with the big boys. Uh, you know, obviously they, they beat Oregon this past week in, in the rivalry game and the Civil War, you know, and I think that Arizona State can get back to being a competitive team within that conference. And it doesn't hurt that during his tenure, USC and UCLA are probably going to leave. So, you know, that's also going to help him out a ton, uh, not having to go against, against those two powers on a regular basis. That's going to help him out um, in the long run. Uh, and lastly, what the hell is, is Auburn doing? What are you, what are you doing? <laughs> like, I, I was I was a huge proponent of them holding on to Cadillac Williams until they could figure out and go get a guy, either whether Cadillac worked or not, right? I was a huge proponent of them keeping Cadillac Williams because if it didn't work, then you don't lose a ton of money. You don't lose a ton of – you're not back at square one. You kept it interim. It didn't work out. You go get your big fish, kind of what LSU did with Orgeron, right? They kept Orgeron. Yes, he won them a championship, but after it didn't work, they went and got the big guy. They went and got Kelly, and they said, okay, cool. Now we can go get the big guy, understanding what we know now about bringing up an interim. That's what Auburn should have done. They continue to go for the biggest fish out there, don't get him, and then fall back on their plan B and plan Cs. And I don't understand why they continue to do this when they have a guy in Cadillac Williams who not only was bought into the program, but to an extent coached exactly to what Auburn should have been doing all year. They ran the football, they ran the football, and they ran the football. Like, this was a team – He ha Robbie Ashford hasn't looked that good all year. All of a sudden, Robbie Ashford is dropping dimes in the Iron Bowl. 
Yeah, like this is a guy who understood what was right in front of him. He understood he had Tank Bigsby, a running quarterback, and we're going to make sure that we play time and possession, can hit the big players when we need to, but we're not going to let you guys, you know, we're not going to just be an embarrassment offensively because we're trying to do something that we're not. So I felt like kind of like had the pulse of that team. Heck, you thought if he could strap on the pads and go play that Iron Bowl last week, he would have done so. How far he was on the field at times. He looked like he was almost on the 30-yard line, the amount of times, you know, he, he was, you know, sinking to his knees and losing his mind out there on the sideline. That's a guy that I want to lead my program at least into a couple of rebuilding years, which Auburn is right now. But I feel like they, they, they look around the rest of the conference, and especially within their own division, and they've got too many big guys to compete with right now. Leach has figured it out to an extent at Mississippi State. Uh, Kiffin stayed at Ole Miss. Kelly's now at LSU. Obviously, Saban is Saban. And we don't expect Jimbo to have another season like this next year. But Jimbo was still a name that you have to contend with. And I think they they thought to themselves, we can't keep Cadillac Williams or we're going to fall even farther behind. So let's go get a guy in Hugh Freeze who has experience within the conference and has a name to add some cachet to that. The only problem with that is in three seasons, if it doesn't work, what are you now having to buy out your third coach in six years? That's a problem. And yeah. that's where this organization or in this university has done a horrible job in making sure that they go get their guy instead of panicking and just picking a guy. And we talked about this when they got Harson. That felt like a, that felt like a you know as Scott would know that felt like a jag pickup, just another guy. That felt like he was not your first, second, or your second choice, but you went and picked him up because of the school that he went to. And you feel like with Freeze, you picked him up because he's a former you know he he played he did well in the SEC you know you know four or five years ago, and you feel like he can be that guy again, and that's what you're really hoping for. But I don't think that that was a pickup that actually made sense, like what Arkansas did a couple years ago by getting Sam Pittman. That made sense. This one, for me, still is a little bit of head-scratching because I'm just thinking, okay, cool, Hugh Freeze is a name, but what is Hugh Freeze going to do in the SEC that's going to take Auburn to that next level, which is compete with Alabama, which is ultimately what they want to do? You think if he has three seven and five seasons, they're going to sit there and be okay with it? No. I, I just don't see them, you know – actually being okay with what Hugh Freeze ultimately I think will give them, which is seven and five, eight and four. You might pop off a nine and three here or there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it was it's an interesting hire. We'll we'll see if it uh uh pays off for Auburn. Uh but you know at least like is he's- not gonna take Hugh Freeze very high in the uh well, Auburn can win some games, though. Uh, but, uh, hey, look, I think we can say they're all better than Jeff Saturday. So uh, all these hires are better than Jeff Saturday. So, um, But uh, we had some other uh, firings and one resigning as well. Uh, you know, David Shaw resigned from Stanford following the loss to BYU on Saturday. Um, I know a lot of people were surprised by this. Obviously, I wasn't. I thought uh, they were going to fire him at some point. Nick called it the safest job. Um, in the country, it clearly was because he had to step away from it because they were just never going to fire him. Uh, so we'll see what happens with David Shaw in the future. Always look forward to seeing him um, at the draft. So we'll see maybe he if he's trending towards going into television or if he wants to coach somewhere else. Uh, then we had Tulsa fired Phil Montgomery. FAU fired Willie Taggart. UNLV fired Marcus Arroyo. Texas State fired Jack Spavital. And Western Michigan fired Tim Lester. So I don't think there were any big surprises here, Nick. Did any of these jump out to you as a shock? Um, well, so so David Shaw, uh, the more I think back on it, yeah, it, you know, it makes sense. And hearing some of the things that he said, 
after that BYU game and, and has since had a, a press conference uh, sort of you know, officially uh, stepping down. Um, uh, sounds like, yeah, he just needed a little bit of a break perhaps, you know, he mentioned yeah. something about how in the NFL there, there is a little bit of an off season uh, and in college football, there's not anymore. Um, so perhaps that should tell us that, that if he's looking to get uh, another job immediately, maybe, you know, making that jump back to the NFL where he does have an NFL background um, might be what interests him the most. Uh, of course, as you mentioned, he, he has done some television work, um, probably would be great on, on TV. So uh, sometimes that helps coaches sort of get rejuvenated a little bit, get a little rest, get sort of instead of have the, the blinders on for your team and, and your conference and your schedule, um, opens you up a little bit more, a little more time to uh, dive into what other programs across the country are doing, you know, schematically and, and off the field as well. Um, so if, you know, college football is, is where Shaw sees his you know, later future, cause he made it perfectly clear that he is not retiring. Um, just thought it was time to leave Stanford and, and everything I've read since is that, yeah, they, they weren't going to fire him. Um, but you know, he, he felt it was time and it probably was, they probably need, uh, some new blood there and it'll be really interesting to see where they go. It's kind of a unique job. I've heard some pretty interesting names thrown out. Um, you know, the, the Bronco Mendenhalls, that'd be kind of an interesting one. Um, you know, would, would they maybe dip to an FCS level guys that have experience in like the Ivy league, because uh, sort of some of the weird things at Stanford, some of the things that Shaw mentioned, you know, they're struggling with a little bit, kind of getting up to speed. They don't take transfers, but, but the very, very few, I think there've been two uh, in, in Shaw's, you know, recent uh, years and in the last few years when we're seeing, you know, dozens, maybe in a single year for, for some other schools. Uh, and then, of course, you know, the academic concerns and and just uh, are not concerns, but uh, the standards there are a little bit different than what you have in, at some programs. So um, it'll be very interesting to see where they go. It'll be very interesting to see what changes are made. Um, kind of think that, that maybe they need somebody who does something a little bit different, uh, not necessarily saying, you know, run the triple option, but uh bring in somebody who has kind of a unique uh setup that that's a little more difficult to prepare for maybe can help you know uh, kind of limit that talent gap a bit close it even though Stanford does have a very talented roster not super deep and and there's some signs to indicate that maybe uh they won't be able to recruit it at quite that high a level uh moving forward so that I'm maybe more than any job so far I'm most interested to see just where that goes uh, for Stanford, just because it's, it's been, you know, a little bit of a unique place and, and um, it's going to take kind of a, a different coach, I think, uh, to get them back on track. But some of these G5 jobs, a lot of people were really surprised at Marcus Arroyo at UNLV. He won a little bit more in his second year, won a little bit more this past year. Um, but some things that, that stuck out to me, I, I heard a couple of comments uh, that he made after the the Hawaii loss, which uh, eliminated UNLV from bowl contention, uh, was a you know pretty embarrassing loss. 
uh, because Hawaii has not been you know very good, and and uh, UNLV certainly had opportunities, but um, I don't know. It just some of the some of the uh, I just I didn't maybe. get a great feel for Arroyo necessarily. Like it it just didn't quite feel right to me. Um, some of the some of the things he said over the years, some of the um, you know, yeah, they won more games this year, but they had a six game losing streak. And at times, you know, certainly they, they had some injuries, but they just didn't play well, you know, kind of really regressed. It seemed like, um, over the course of the, the season. And so I know they ended up with five wins still, which looks better on paper. I was not impressed with UNLV, uh, in recent weeks, you know, basically after week two or three, um, they they really struggled, uh, and so that that one it seems like that one shocked a lot of people. It, it was not super surprising to me. I was surprised that Western Michigan let go of Tim Lester, who's a alum, uh, but also had one sub five hundred year, and they had to to replace a lot of really really talented guys this year. Um, it seemed a touch early, maybe for Willie Taggart, but there had been some rumblings there, and and man. I mean, Willie Taggart left Oregon voluntarily like four years ago. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, man, FSU. Just, and yeah, it's, you know, uh, it's been a disaster. It's been right? a, it's been a rough little uh, stretch there, but it seemed like Philip Montgomery, maybe things just had, had run its course there at Tulsa. Tulsa might have kind of found the, the perfect opportunity to wear one of their, Native Sons is is ready for a job like that. GJ Kinney is just absolutely killing it uh, at Incarnate Word this year. They're ten and one. Had a first round uh, NCAA tournament by uh, the FCS playoffs. Uh, just huge, huge offensive numbers. He played quarterback at Tulsa. Um, also, Brennan Marion, who is one of Kinney's wide receivers, who's been uh, one of the you know most uh, well regarded position coaches in college football, now at Texas coaching the receivers, um, maybe he'll be in the mix. So if, if you're looking for guys with Tulsa ties, that job is going to be really, really interesting if they go with one of those two. Uh, but also there, there seems to be a lot of interest. That's, that's sort of the G5 job that, that uh, maybe is going to land kind of the, the biggest name and, and might have uh, an opportunity to, to get back on track really quickly. So all of these jobs are interesting for their own reasons. You know, Texas State seemed like they were getting close. I had pretty high expectations. Just Spavital could not get over the hump. Um, but uh, like like all the other jobs we talked about, uh, the Power Five level. I mean, there's there's you know opportunities to win at, at each of these schools. Uh, and I'm always you know, however it plays out, this time of year, I love just seeing <laughs> what will happen. Um, and, and these are some, you know, pretty interesting G5 opportunities and, and that Stanford job as well, at, you know, P5 level, of course. Um, but that, that one's unique also. Xavier, uh, your thoughts on, on these firings, did anyone really surprise you here? Obviously David Shaw stepping down was massive, uh, for, for all the reasons that you guys talked about earlier. Um, I felt that. Taggart being fired was just a matter of time. I never thought that he had the pulse of that locker room, um, especially with a team in FAU that had, for all intents and purposes before he got there, was just 
you know, consistently one of the best teams there, right? They 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 lose Kiffin. Uh, he moves over to Ole Miss, and they, they kind of were just hoping to get another guy to come in and keep the ship going. And, and that's why I like Tiger going there anyways in the first place because I felt that him going there was – he was just going to be asked to do the same thing over again, right, uh, versus uh, what ended up happening and he got worse. So I, I thought that that was, a, you know, a matter of time. Uh, if they kept him in the next year, I thought that was going to be his last year anyways. But for them to get rid of him this year, I'm not hugely surprised. Uh, I do have a name for you guys for the David Shaw job. Um, Bill O'Brien. I, I think this is a guy who is got to get another head coaching job at some point. I, it's about time he's spent enough time at Bama. Uh, I think he has definitely earned his stripes. He, you know, it's been a while since he's been a head coach in college football. That was in 2012 with Penn State. You know, obviously, he's spending six years in the league. I think it's his time. I, I, he's only 53 years old, so he's got, you know, at least a, t- a 10 to 12-year tenure in him, if that's what so happens. And I think that coming from a situation like him, much like David Shaw, you're leaving, you're getting another NFL guy to come in there uh, who understands what the system that, you know, David Shaw was running and, and can replicate some of that while adding in the wrinkles that he needs to. Uh, on top of that, I don't think – I think he's – like I said, he's more than earned his stripes. When you look at his resume, he's been everywhere and anywhere. Uh, he played at Brown. So we talk about the academics that are necessary, uh, you know, you know, the academics that are necessary at, at Stanford. He's a guy who understands academics. He also coached at Brown as well. So once again, he, also, he coached there and he coached at Georgia Tech and at Duke. So he understands the academic requirements necessary to get players in to a school like Stanford and still compete at a high level. So I think Bill O'Brien would be a really good pickup. Uh, he was on Nebraska's shortlist. Uh, thank God he dodged that bullet. But I think him going to, you know, uh, Stanford would be a really solid move for him, uh, <laughs> as, as Nick shows us his brown pennant. Uh, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I really like Bill O'Brien going to, to Stanford. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's uh, – I think that's a fantastic idea. So uh, – Providence, we'll Rhode Island's great. We'll see if it uh, all, all turns out. Yeah, great. Uh, I mean, I, this um, – Nick is pushing this Ivy League agenda recently. <laughs> I'm not sure what it's all about. It's because he's back up in that area again. Yeah, so yeah. very excited for um, what is it? Ivy the League Patriot winning League? edge. Yeah, the Ivy League, and then what? You got the Patriot League up there too, right? Uh, yeah, kind of in this. Yeah, there's some not okay. too far away. But. Um, well, let's get into conference championships because we're almost <laughs> over and we haven't. We haven't talked about any of these games yet, so I kind of want to separate them. I want to talk really in depth about the the four games that can impact the playoff, and then we can, you know, just burn through the rest of them. So let's start out with Kansas State against TCU. TCU is a two and a half point favorite. The total sixty one and a half here. We have TCU uh, covering. We have it a little bit under uh, in this game. But Nick, let's start out with a Big Twelve title game. Uh, number four, uh, TCU against what is Kansas State 12? So, uh, both uh, very high ranked teams, and um, this should be a great game. TCU's been on the edge for a while. I don't know that K State's going to be the team to knock them off, though. So, what do you think? Well, our, our projection, and we've we've been, uh, I, I feel like we started off really high on TCU compared to most. Uh, now we're technically. I guess low TCU is still 12th in our power rankings. Um, but they, you know, talk about best team and, and most deserving team. Those, those words come up a lot uh, this time of year and TCU absolutely deserves, you know, it, its spot in the 
uh, college football playoff rankings. They're in a situation win and you're in and, and, you know, they win by one. That's great. Um, I certainly, you know, think they can, they've, they've beaten K-State already uh, this year. Um, did actually, you know, that, that was one of two games, uh, three games, I guess, technically, uh, according to uh, the postgame win expectancy numbers at collegefootballdata.com, where TCU actually had a, a postgame win expectancy of, of less than 50%. They're 41% against K-State. But much like that, the, you know, they've done all year, TCU got the job done. And, you know, they are right now a, a proven team. They're a solid team. There's very few weak spots. Uh, offensively, they rank 13th in team performance. Passing offense right on the outside of the top 10. Rushing offense, they're 25th. Those numbers have slid a, a little bit, you know, week after week. Um, first half of the season, they were, you know, uh, right at, at number one in, in some instances and in team performance on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, the rushing numbers were among the best in the country. Kendra Miller has not been 100% at running back. Uh, a receiver, they've, they've not gotten – uh, you know, they, they've been far less than 100%, I should say. Quentin Johnston's been banged up uh, a lot this year. Tay Barber has been, uh, you know, in and out of the lineup, in and out of practice. Darius Davis missed a couple of weeks ago. So part of it, I think, is, you know, TCU doesn't quite have uh, the depth that we're used to seeing from a top five level team. And so some of these, you know, injuries, they take their toll a little bit. Um, but so far they've passed every test that they've been, uh, presented with. They've beaten the team that, that they will be facing off with this week. Uh, K-State is certainly a very, very good team. Actually, as far as, you know, overall team performance numbers, TCU, uh, according to our numbers ranks, um, I just moved off the page 13th. Yes. Uh, K-State actually ranks 11th. So a lot of the advanced stats that we look at, you know, dozens of different numbers we throw into a formula that spits out this team performance number, uh, that calculation indicates that K-State actually, despite being a 9-3 and team, TCU being a 12-0 team, K-State's been a slightly better uh, football team on the field. You know, the offense and defensive side of the balls, excuse me, sides of the ball, uh, not spectacular. They're a little bit uh, lower in offensive team performance. They're 24th. They're a little bit higher in defensive team performance. They're 29th. TCU's in the 40s for the most part. Uh, but K-State has, you know, similar offensive playmaking uh, ability. Deuce Vaughn can do just about anything. Uh, incredibly, incredibly productive running back running, receiving. Uh, they've gotten far more production out of the receiver core than you know, we, we've seen in the previous few years. Malik Knowles has really stepped up uh, this season. We've had you know moments from guys like Cade Warner and Phillip Brooks as well. Uh, you know, they're getting really good tight end play from Ben Sanat. He's been super productive uh, so far this year. Sammy Willer had a big touchdown last week. And it, it, interestingly enough, you know, talk about TCU hasn't been at full strength. K-State's coming in with technically their backup quarterback. Adrian Martinez has been the starter uh, most of the season until, you know, in November has been sidelined for the most part, isn't going to start, um, is actually, I would label it, have labeled it as doubtful to play 
but it sounds like, uh, according to Chris Kleiman, you know, maybe we'll see Adrian Martinez uh, a little bit uh, this week. But regardless, Will Howard has stepped in, done a, an excellent, excellent job, put K-State you know, in this position. Uh, Three-game winning streak, some tough wins, but took care of business last week against Kansas, uh, you know, helped lead them to, to a win over Baylor, and put them in this position, uh, has done enough offensively, uh, and is going to be, you know, difficult for that TCU defense, which certainly has its moments, has uh, a really, really, I mean, solid depth chart basically from from top to bottom, uh, or at least, you know, starting lineup. Guys like Dylan Horton been very productive. D. Winters at linebacker. Uh, Tavius Hodges-Tomlinson is, you know, an all uh, Big 12 type performer. Josh Newton playing like a big all Big 12 player uh, this year. But, you know, K-State, I think, is is going to be able to move the football, going to be able to, uh, you know, certainly have some opportunities for big plays with, with you know, Deuce Vaughn, um, certainly that, that big-time playmaker. Uh, and we'll see, you know, will K-State on the other side of the ball be able to, uh, you know, slow down that TCU offense regardless of, of, you know, what the health of that receiver core looks like. They do have a good pass rush, Felix, uh, and Udike Azuma, All-American type pass rusher, Brendan Mott having a great season. Um, they've gotten, you know, a little bit banged up in the secondary, lost Kobe Savage and Sincere Mason, uh, two safeties who had been productive for large parts of this season. You know, they're going to be out. They're not 100% on that side of the ball, but um, K-State is, is – playing really, really well right now. Uh, you know, one of the better pass defenses from a big play standpoint, they only allow 6.6 yards per pass attempt. Uh, you know, that that is certainly something to watch as, as uh, you know, Quentin Johnston and, and those guys, are they going to be able to stretch the field? What are they you know, health-wise? How is that going to limit their big playability? Um it's a, it's a pretty even matchup. We do have TCU favored, as you mentioned, slightly more than the two and a half. We have it a little bit more than a field goal. The talent edge, we give TCU at six points, but our, our stats only model uh, sees this as, as basically a coin flip. TCU favored by less than a point on a neutral field, averages out to, to you know three and a half, those three models. Um, so we are on TCU to win and to cover uh, but not by a very large margin and you know, certainly um, a winnable game for K-State. In fact, as I mentioned, you know, that postgame win expectancy would have expected K-State to win more often than not last time out. Didn't get it done. We'll see if TCU is able to find a way to win again uh, this week. Xavier, do you have a uh, strong feeling in the, uh, the Big 12 championship here between TCU and K-State? Do you think TCU just rolls them? Hypnoto? I think K-State wins this ball game. I'll be honest with you. Wow. Uh, I think K-State lost to TCU simply because they went down to their third-string quarterback last time. Uh, K-State was dominating that game for three and a half quarters before obviously losing not only Adrian Martinez but Walker Howard uh, and having to lean on a third-string quarterback to to you know get that game going. I, I think K-State has learned from its mistakes. Um, obviously, they have a healthy quarterback, which helps. Right. Um, and the way that they've played since that loss has been extremely impressive. Um, outside of the one loss to uh, to Texas since that matchup, 
I think that they've been one of the best teams in the Big 12. I mean, they, I mean, shellacked Baylor 31 to 3, beat Oklahoma State 48 to nothing, put a 48 piece on West Virginia, and put a 48 piece almost on Kansas last week. This is not a team, this is a team offensively that is clicking on all cylinders. Um, and a team that it, it took a while for them to do that, right? You know, this is a team that lost to, to Tulane earlier this year, 17 to 10. Right, um, and that was right. That was a week before the the Oklahoma win. But they've been able to put some complete games. Not only are they just winning based on their offensive performances, right, but their defense has also begun to step up. Uh, their defense has looked extremely better uh, since the loss to TCU as well. Like I said, outside of really the Texas loss, uh, which was, in my opinion, a Bijan Robinson masterclass. Uh, you know, and which makes him why he's the best back in college football, running for two hundred and nine yards in that game in particular. So. I will say that I think where, where Kansas State is susceptible is the running game. Obviously, that's what TCU, TCU has done best. Uh, but I, I think when you look at it, I'll be honest, I, I'm not sold. I haven't been sold on TCU all year. They have been able to put some performances together that I didn't think they had in them. Uh, most more, uh, Moreover, the game against Iowa State last week and obviously winning a slugfest against Texas. But they just they let teams hang around. Uh, outside of this last game against Iowa State, they, they're not a team that puts you away quickly. They kind of hope, you know, that that things work out for them. Uh, they're also a team that's been extremely good on the uh, good at home, but on the road they've been shaky at best. Uh, you know, they beat Kansas State at home. All of their big wins this year have been at home. Um, you know, the, the, their close, tight, tight games have all been on the road. Kansas, they were down in, in that game. West Virginia, that was a nip and tuck performance. Obviously, the Texas game was was a slugfest, and obviously, and having to win on a, a field goal at the buzzer against Baylor. So you put this in a neutral site, does TCU play the same as they would when they're at home, when they have their crowd behind them? I'm not so sure. Uh, both teams are going to have to run the ball ex- effectively for them to have any kind of, you know, uh, to have a, a great performance in this ball game. Uh, one-on-one, and you've got Deuce Vaughn on the other end. Uh, dang, his name slips my mind. But you also have an amazing running back for TCU right now who is obviously, you know, making a name for himself week in and week out. Thank you. Uh, I, I think my I think my concern is is will they let Max Duggan off the leash? And if they do, is he going to help them or hurt them in this game? Uh, Duggan is a guy who is much like Dorian Thompson Robinson. Like I said in previous episode, he's a confidence guy. When Duggan's got it rolling, he's one. He can he can make all the throws. When he doesn't, he is shaky. And we've seen that in previous matchups. It's taken them a quarter or two, uh, you know, maybe even a full half to get it going. Maybe as a slump of a third quarter, but is able to bounce back in the fourth, much like the Baylor. 280 game. and three last time against uh, yeah, K State. Right. So. And, you know, but once again, if you go look at those numbers, you go look at that game. Look, tell me when he got that, that 280 and, and three, right? Like you, you look at that matchup and you go, okay, cool. Kansas State was up 28 to 17 at halftime. TCU found a way to win in the second half, but guess what? Walker Howard was gone. Adrian Martinez didn't play, and they had to lean on Jake uh, Jake Rubley and you know Deuce Vaughn in the second half. That that's another yeah. one of those games where TCU doesn't figure out how to play the game that they want to play. Uh, what did I say, Nick? I'm sorry. You, did I not say Will Howard on the last one? Uh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Walker Howard's at LSU. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> So Will Howard, my 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 my, uh, my apologies there, but yeah, once again they did not have their full complement of quarterback play in that second half. TCU rallies back and wins a game. Will they be able to do that against a Kansas State team who, in my opinion, like I said, had their number in that ball game while Will Howard was playing his butt off without their starting quarterback? 
I'm going to take Kansas State to win this game based off of what I saw last time and it being a neutral site field. Uh, now, obviously, TCU's got everything to play for, uh, but this will be Kansas State's first Big 12 championship in how long? So I think, you know, it, this is one of those weird ones where if, if we're going to get a loser this weekend of the top four, it's in this matchup. That's how I feel. Uh, all right. I mean, uh, so that that will be that would be interesting. I mean, TCU's been cutting it close all year uh, to to get all the way down to the end and then losing the, the Big 12 championship game would be uh, obviously an enormous disappointment. Let's go to Vegas, where the Pac-12 championship is taking place, where USC uh, number six is playing number 14, Utah. And the spread here is USC by two and a half. Uh, we have them covering that. The total 66 and a half or a little bit under that, uh, about nine points under that actually. But um, Nick, USC's got a shot. If if it plays out like Xavier says, K-State beats TCU, this could be, uh, you know, USC could be playing for a shot at the playoff here. So how do you see this game going? This was the one loss that USC has had uh, all year. Yeah, and first you mentioned the the under. Uh, say we can save a little time from here on out. We're on every under, literally every under. Which I don't <laughs> it know. There's only like twelve a, games. A little weird. So, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, this this is one. We'll we'll see. But uh, USC, I, I I was a little surprised coming into um, you know before all the numbers were rerun team performance numbers and, and things like that. And just sort of looking at some of the other folks who, uh, you know, do, do a lot of great work with, with uh, analytics. It seemed like Utah might be favored in this game. Things were kind of trending that way. Um, it was going to be pretty clear, you know, USC's held steady, uh, at number seven in our power rankings for the last few weeks. Um, and, you know, Utah is, is uh, certainly playing really well, but didn't, didn't necessarily expect that they would be able to overtake USC. And a big part of that is, is talent. Um, part of the reason we were higher on USC than most, you know, other outlets uh, in the preseason, USC is literally one of the most talented rosters in the country. They're in fifth in overall roster strength. They're fourth on the offensive side of the ball, eighth on defense. So even though defensively USC, you know, statistically uh, has been bad, I mean, 106th in defensive team performance, some of the individual numbers, uh, you know, 102nd in points per drive allowed, 111th in yards per play allowed, 125th in success rate against. Um, they've just been able to come up with some big plays at some important moments cause a lot of turnovers. Um, it, it's usually not a uh, plan that that you can rely on consistently, but USC has been able to do it. And they've got the number one offense in the country and our offensive team performance numbers, number two passing offense, top 15 rushing attack, and really hasn't you know taken a step back even after losing Travis Dye. Uh, Austin Jones has stepped up and, and been – you know, every bit is productive, uh, taking over that number one role. And then, you know, Caleb Williams right now is the best player in college football. So when you have the, you know, eventual Heisman winner, you've got weapons around him have built one of the most talented rosters in the country with guys like Jordan Addison, Mario Williams is, is getting back and healthy. Um, you know, the offensive line 
it doesn't grade out super well as a unit, but uh, I've gotten some good play from guys like Brent Nealon and Andrew Voris this year. You know, Tuli Tulopu, or excuse me, uh, Tupolotu is an All-American pass rusher. Um, but, you know, as a unit, they haven't necessarily got real consistent uh, play, obviously. That D-line as a whole, even with, um, you know, an All-American guy coming off the edge, ranks 91st, 91st excuse me, in our D-line performance numbers. Um, they were able to get, you know, Eric Gentry, the long pass rusher linebacker back, um, he hopefully back to hundred percent will, will make an impact in this game. Um, but guys in, on the you know back end in the secondary, like Makai Blackman have just come up with big plays at big times. Kalen Bullock, Max Williams, you know, those guys have, have certainly given up plenty of yards and, and touchdowns. Um, you know, the pass rush, if it doesn't get home, USC is in trouble. They've struggled, really, really struggled against the run. They're 108th in uh, rushing defensive team performance. But they are talented enough and and so far uh, have been able to, you know, for the most part, come up with a big play when they needed it, except, of course, they weren't able to get it done against Utah last time out. Um, Utah came back, had a, a... just incredible comeback, uh, very emotional uh, performance there at home. They won't have that home field advantage, you know, this time out. If history is any indication um, that, you know, uh, Pac-12 championship game, there's there's not a whole lot of home field advantage. And, and it's not in Santa Clara anymore. It's going to be in Las Vegas. Uh, so maybe it's going to be a little you know, more full, maybe a little louder. Um, but still, you know, not going to be that overwhelming big, big time home field advantage that Utah had last time out. Uh, Cameron rising is, is back and fully healthy. You know, he, he was uh, healthy until the very end of that USC game last time, got banged up and, and, you know, missed the next uh, game. But Utah has, has certainly had some other injuries. Uh, sounds like Tavion Thomas, I believe is, is going to be out. Uh, again, sounds like he's preparing now for the NFL draft. Uh, if I understood correctly, the, the, uh, you know, post that, that he put out, uh, Dalton Kincaid, who stepped up and played like an all American tight end in, uh, Brant Keithy's, uh, stead, who has unfortunately been out for, for the year. Uh, he is, I think probable, but certainly not a hundred percent. He had a, uh, an injury last week that, that, you know, perhaps is going to limit him a little bit. Van Fillinger, one of their best defensive linemen, uh, is, uh, you know, out for this game has been out for a little bit. Um, but Utah's has got a lot of production from guys like, uh, Gabe Reed and, and, uh, Simote Peppa, uh, the big, 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 uh, interior lineman, um, the linebacker core, Jonah Ellis, Kareem Reed, made big plays. And of course, Clark Phillips is, is an all American uh, caliber corner and, and potential, you know, first round pick maybe. So Utah is, is very much, you know, on level uh, ground, I think with the starting lineup, uh, they maybe aren't quite as deep in some spots. Um, and, you know, they've certainly been better defensively, but they're still, you know, just inside the top 40 in overall defensive team performance. Their offense has been very, very good, but it's not quite at that, you know, 
number one level, obviously, that USC is. They're 12th in offensive team performance. They've been 11th in rushing team performance. Haven't seen a huge drop-off without Tavion Thomas uh, off and on the, the last month or so. But, you know, will uh, Jaquindon Jackson, who had a, a huge game last time out, he be able to step back up? Jalen Glover is back on the field after missing some time. Michael Bernard has is, is stepped in and, and played uh, some significant snaps. You would expect because most teams can run the football against USC, that Utah will be able to do that. But they're not you know, operating at, at full strength. Their offensive line has been very, very good, top four in the country in our O-line performance numbers. Uh, they certainly will be confident U- Utah has beaten this USC team. They're the only team to do so. Utah has never intimidated. Uh, but, you know, they, like most every team, is, is not at 100%. But I think the biggest factor here – you know, this is this is going to be a neutral site uh, and, and they're going up against Caleb Williams, who right now is the best player in the country. So I think that it's reasonable to, to expect USC can get it done. Uh, you mentioned, you know, we do have USC favored. We have them expected to cover, but the, the projected edge is very, very small. We're at 3.05 officially compared to the two and a half. Um, and that seems about right. You know, a field goal either way. Uh, certainly could decide this one. Xavier, what do you think of the Pac-12 championship here? I mean, um, I love that this game is in Vegas. I love that stadium. Uh, Utah Utah is the one team to beat USC this year, it, but you have said it many, many times. Very hard to beat a team twice in the same year. So uh, what do you think about USC-Utah for the Pac-12 title? No, I mean, it's extremely hard to beat teams twice. Also, when you look at the way that Utah was able to do it last last time, it was pretty much just a pure shootout, right? Utah just got enough stops and also completed a two-point conversion and ended up winning that ball game. Uh, you look at this year, you look at what both teams have done since those two games. I think Utah have taken a bit of a regression. Obviously, that's been due to more uh, more so due to injuries, in my opinion. Uh, but since then, you know, sneaking one out against Washington State, uh, losing to Oregon by, you know, by three, uh, you know, and they've pretty much played the bottom half of the Pac-12 in Arizona, Stanford, and Colorado. Uh, on the flip side, I think U- I think USC has done nothing but impress. Uh, obviously, the one game that you know, right after they played uh, Utah, they they play Arizona, not great. Then they played Cal, not exceptionally well. Uh, but then they, you know, rolled against Colorado, beat U- UCLA, and then, you know, beat a, a Notre Dame team that was coming on strong last week uh, and did so in a, in a fashion that I felt, you know, was had the style points. But when you look at the substance, you still see that there's some glaring issues with the defense. Notre Dame pretty much drove on them when they wanted to. Uh, Notre Dame had some un, some un, uh, untimely turnovers. Uh, one in particular was a fumble in the red zone that obviously, you know, really set them back because they just couldn't stop USC. My thing is this. If Utah was healthy 100%, I think I would pick them. I just don't think Utah has the horses to run with them in this ballgame. Um, USC, I think, just has a little bit more in the tank. And, you know, maybe, call me a football cynic, but everybody that was ex- extremely excited about Caleb Williams last week and the way in which he played and, you know, the scrambles out of the pocket and making throws on the run, I just saw a guy who couldn't get any protection in the pocket. Yeah, I just saw a guy that was essentially running for his life and making plays on a consistent basis. Uh, you know, uh, much less Joe Burrow uh, esque, which is what people were thinking that they were looking at last week. I just saw a guy that really just had to get out of there because Notre Dame was getting such a uh, such a consistent pass rush. 
USC has some glaring issues that I think will end up rearing its ugly head in the playoff. But I think they have just enough talent to get over a Utah team that has sputtered a bit this year, right? This is a team that honestly could easily be 11-1 right now um, and have their own argument for the playoff. If they would have beaten Oregon on the road, losing that game by three, and obviously losing on the road to Florida by three as well. The other piece to this is with it being, you know, uh, in Vegas, which team is going to travel better? Uh, which, which fan base is going to travel better in this game? Uh, Utah, like I said, they've been hor- they've been bad. Their losses have come on the road. Uh, you look at USC, they've been extremely good at home, and on the road, they've been cool, right? Um, and so I think that when you look at you know which team has a better fan base, which team you know what travels better, I think USC will also do that. Give me USC to win this game, the inaugural Pac-12 championship game in Vegas. Uh, give me USC to win this ball game and get to the playoff. Like I said, I think they've got some extremely glaring issues when facing a team like a Michigan or like a Georgia, uh, you know, or even heck, uh, you know, Alabama, Ohio State, uh, whether if they were to get in, if TCU loses. But, you know, I think they have enough to get over the hump this game. But I also wouldn't be completely surprised to see Utah win its second Pac-12 championship uh, back-to-back years uh, because Cam Rising, when he gets into gamer mode, that kid can't be stopped, uh, you know. But I think that they have – USC, that is, has enough talent on the offensive end to try, just kind of flood you. Um, and when you feel like you can't get it going offensively, you just know that they're going to take it 45, 50 yards, 60 yards, and, and that it's going to be – whether it's in – a minute or three minutes, they're going to go score. Uh, and I don't know if Utah has it in them again to go the length of, you know, to go the length with them, you know, like they did at Utah. And that was at Utah to do it, right? This isn't at home for them. Give me USC to get its first Pac-12 championship. And how long? I feel like it's been a minute for USC. USC football yeah. has been down for a Sam minute. Sam Darnold. So right. what was that, 2017, 2016, 17? Yeah, somewhere in that neighborhood, uh, for sure. 17, 17. yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, uh, USC is looking good. I'm going to put these last two games together, just because the spreads are big. Uh, We're already at an hour and a half. Uh, But um, Michigan against Purdue in the the Big Ten title game, Michigan is a 16.5-point favorite. Uh, 51.5 is a total. Like uh, Nick said, we're on the under for everything, but we have Purdue covering that 16 and a half. Uh, Georgia is an 18 and a half point favorite against LSU. Uh, we have that one as Georgia is just over a 10 point favorite. So we don't have either one of these teams covering. We have them both winning. Uh, 15 and a half is told they're on the under once again by about four points. But um, Nick, who is most likely to upset in this? Is it Purdue or is it LSU? I think it has to be LSU, uh, and I don't expect LSU to, to beat Georgia, um, but LSU has comparable talent. Uh, they do have a top 10 roster, um, and we've seen when uh, you know Jalen Daniels gets hot, he can make plays. Uh, we've seen NFL talent out of Keishon Booty. Um, we haven't seen it very consistent. Uh, but we've seen it at times. And, you know, Jan Daniels is, is not 100%. Uh, Josh Williams has missed some time at running back. Um, they were able to, to get some good play from John Emery and Noah Kane recently, but um, Booty's never really got it going this year. The offensive line's never been 100%. The secondary's never been 100%. Uh, but LSU has maybe the best group of linebackers in the country, maybe the best front seven. Uh, certainly they're, they're in that conversation. Um, so I think they match up, you know, decently well with Georgia player for player, you know, 
from a talent standpoint, uh, Georgia's just been a better and more consistent team. But Michigan and Purdue, there's just a big, big gap as far as talent and depth. Um, so I, I don't expect an upset in either case. We have double digit, you know, we have both Georgia and Michigan favored by double digits. Um, Purdue, you know, sadly is is dealing with, uh, you know, a, a non-football uh, situation. Uh, Aiden O'Connell uh, tragically lost a, a, his older brother last week. It was very emotional um, after that, uh, you know, victory over Indiana. Um, playing through that and, and has been away from the team this week, has not practiced as of you know, Tuesday. Um, so unfortunately, certainly wish he, him all the best. Um, but, you know, that that's that's not great <laughs> when you're uh, just thinking from a football standpoint when you don't have your starting quarterback uh, to prepare for, you know, a, a potential upset opportunity uh, in, in the days leading up to, the game. So um feels like a, a game that Michigan should, you know, win handily, even if they don't play their best game, even if there is a little bit of a uh, letdown coming off the Ohio State game. Um, but uh, just the, the, you know, basic uh, talent gap, looking at these two, um, LSU is a lot closer to Georgia than, than Purdue is to Michigan. Uh, I, I think so too. Xavier, do you have a difference of opinion. You think Purdue can get it done against Michigan or LSU can get it done against Georgia. I would not be surprised to see LSU in a dog fight with Georgia. Um, I think Georgia is a team that has been susceptible to playing down this year. Um, heck, we even saw in Georgia tech this past week, Georgia tech was up for an entire quarter, right? Uh, we've seen Georgia start slow in a multitude of games this year, which gives, you know, the opportunity for LSU to get out early and play, you know, with the dogs. I would not be surprised by that in the slightest. Um, on the flip side, it would be extremely impressive if Purdue was able to hang with Michigan. Um, however, I will say this much. If any game for Purdue to go ahead and become a giant killer again, welcome. Uh, that this would be a welcome sight again. I mean, Purdue is not a team that fears teams of Michigan's caliber whatsoever. They be- they feel like they belong on the same field with these guys. And if you really look at Purdue, Purdue is a is a seven is a, a eight and four team that could easily be eleven and one, right? You look at their losses. You have a four point loss to Penn State at the beginning of the year. Uh, you have a three point loss to Syracuse. You have a uh, the, the the most handed loss was an eleven point loss to Wisconsin on the road. Uh, or excuse me, they they lose to a, a eleven point uh, Wisconsin on the road, and then obviously the one big head scratcher was getting blown out by Iowa, right? But you look at those games and you go, okay, cool. They easily could be 10 and 2. And if a couple of things go differently in the Wisconsin game, maybe 11 and 1. But if you give them the Penn State win, do we think about this team a little bit different if they were to beat a Penn State team that's currently ranked in the top 15? Like, I just, I feel like Purdue doesn't have a game for you to hang your hat on that makes you think they can compete with Michigan. But that's a good ball club out there. I, you know, and, and I think Michigan will be prepared for them. Uh, the biggest reason as to why I don't think Purdue is going to be able to run is going to be able to play with these guys is because I think Michigan's front four, as much talent as they lost last year, is still playing extremely well. Uh, they made CJ Stroud uncomfortable time in and time out. And that is what, and I don't care where you are, pass rush carries, whether it's the snow, whether it's 105 degrees outside with 80% humidity, that pass rush gets there. Um, and if they can continue to do that against Purdue, Aiden O'Connell, who is going to honestly have to put the team on his back 
this week for them to win that ball game and have an almost perfect game for them to do so, it's going to be tough. Because uh, I don't believe that Michigan's offense, even with what we just saw against Ohio State, is explosive enough to do this, uh, you know, against everybody. Uh, but I do think that their defense is good enough to hold Purdue to you know, 15, 16 points where their offense kind of, you know, does what it's supposed to do. Uh, yeah, uh, it's going to be uh, an interesting weekend. We have a couple other games we'll go through here. Um, I'll just throw them all out, and you guys can pick the ones that interest you the most. Uh, North Carolina versus Clemson for uh, the ACC title. Seven and a half is the spread there. Um, 63 and a half is the total. Then we have the Conference USA Championship, UTSA by eight and a half over North Texas. 16 and a half is the line there. Um, the MAC championship Toledo by one and a half over Ohio 55 is the total in that one. Uh, the Sun Belt title is Troy by eight and a half over coastal Carolina. Uh, the mountain West Boise state by three and a half over Fresno state, AAC championship number 19 Tulane by three over number 22 UCF uh, 57 is a total in that game. Nick, is there one of these conference title games that stands out to you above the rest? Well, you said uh, Troy an eight and a half point favorite. That's uh, what I. That's what I had uh, so, from earlier today. I'll double check. But. Well, so that's interesting. I haven't looked at it since uh, yep, posting these to to our our Patreon supporters uh, midday on on Tuesday, and we officially had Troy as a ten and a half point favorite. So that tells me that maybe Grayson McCall trending toward being back on on the field. Um, that that is interesting. Uh, we had Troy as a 10.3 point favorite. So um, depending on, you know, when, when you saw that number, uh, you know, that, that, that would certainly be significant. So that, that catches my eye a little bit. Uh, we have Clemson favor. We haven't talked very much of the all three agree this year. Uh, <laughs> I haven't even tracked the, those numbers. I'm sure actually, because our numbers have been pretty good across the board since week four, they're probably decent. Um, but Clemson, all three of our, uh, projection models are on Clemson to cover the seven and a half. They've been on Clemson a lot recently. And and obviously last week it it didn't work out. I'm getting pretty close to giving, uh, DJ Uyunglele the, uh, you know, the, the red text downgrade. Uh, (laughs) I think it might, it might just be time. You know, he, he looked good. Early and in the middle of the year at times, but man, last week was was rough and and you know really this month hasn't hasn't been great. So uh, I think his rating is is propping up Clemson just a little bit. They're still fifth in our power rankings, and that seems too high. Um, but uh, otherwise, you know that that one technically, you know, if you look at our numbers, shows we have a little bit of an edge there. Toledo similarly, all three of our. Uh, models line up on Toledo to cover the one and a half, but Ohio has been, you know, red hot. Um, but for the most part, you know, there's, there's just some fun games. Excited to see what Fresno state and, and Boise state um, Fresno state, certainly a different team with Jake Hayner uh, struggled early when he was out. Good to see him back. Boise, Boise state has been um, just a different team since uh, Hank Bachmeyer transferred uh oddly enough thought that was going to be a sign of them just sort of maybe tanking but Taylor green has been uh really really fun to watch um that defense has has really been incredible uh in conference play they're 15th in our defensive team performance 
ratings. Um, so there's there's a lot of fun matchups here. Troy has one of the best defenses in the country from a talent standpoint. Uh, they are sixth in defensive roster strength. Um, so there's you know maybe some of these teams if you haven't uh, gotten a real close look at them. Um, should have an opportunity this week, and and there's some some good matchups and and definitely some solid teams. I'm I'm excited to watch. Xavier, what well, conference championship game are you looking forward to the most? This is easy. UTSA North Texas. That, <laughs> North Texas UTSA is sick of seeing these guys. They are sick of it. Remember, North Texas is the only team to beat them last season. Knocks them off of their 11 and 0 perch. Makes them finish 11 and one. Not only did it do that, but it, it sent North Texas to a bowl game at six and six. Now we fast forward a year later, UTSA once again has an opportunity to, you know, win a conference championship, you know, finish their season well, and North Texas is standing there like, hi. You know, there's they're that neighbor that you just don't like because he cuts his lawn at like 7 o'clock at night when everybody else is trying to watch television. You just don't like (laughs) You you just can't figure out why he is the way he is. And North Texas is that thorn in the side for UTSA. Uh, So that's obviously the one I'm going to be like keeping a pulse on because I think that's just hilarious. And also Tulane uh, against UCF. I just want to see what it's like uh, for Tulane to host a, a championship game. I mean, this is a university. This is a private university. Uh, you know, Tulane, obviously, like I said, Tulane is, runs in the family. Uh, and nieces and uncles all, all graduate from Tulane. So, so to see that atmosphere in Louisiana, uh, to, to see what that looks like, I love that the AAC allows the, you know, the, the better team to uh, record-wise to um, host the championship game. And I'm really just excited to see what that kind of atmosphere looks like uh, for Tulane, to be honest. Yeah, yeah it's going to gonna be a, a fun weekend. Go ahead, Nick. I was just going to say, I, I should have mentioned it earlier, one of these head coaching uh, openings, and maybe there's not the perfect fit uh, uh, you know, for the ones that are open right now, but I, if I had an opening, I probably would make Jeff Trailer say no to me. I mean, ah, the job that UTSA, that one. he's done at UTSA is, is really, really good. And I know he signed a huge extension last year, but UTSA has been just – I mean, their offensive line all year. They've been down like three starters, four starters at times. Um, the you know, except they, for against they, FIU when I bet on them, right? <laughs> uh, but they just they've consistently found a way to win. They've been the best team in Conference USA all year, and yeah, North Texas has definitely been a thorn in their side. So it, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But you know, even this week, they're going to be without some starters. Uh, so you know. The, the job that Jeff Trailer do, has done has been really, really impressive. Could say the same for Jamie uh, Caldwell at, at, at uh, uh, Chadwell at Coastal Carolina. Um, they've dealt with a ton of injuries, and it finally caught up with them last week. But uh, both of those programs, both of those head coaches, incredibly impressive what they've done uh, with as many injuries as both teams have had this year. Um, and those two would be at or near the, the top of my list. Uh, if I had a, a power five job that, that I was looking to, to fill, um, but uh, we'll get an opportunity to see them both this week. And, and yeah, UTSA, North Texas um, and, and trailer specifically the job that he's done really, really impressive. Great point to make. Yeah. Both those guys uh, could definitely see uh, some big time offers coming their way soon. Didn't trailer just sign an extension? Yeah. Like a, like yeah. an unexpectedly big long extension so it seems like i mean and he you know made it clear he wants to be there uh and they're moving up to 
AAC uh, next next year. So um, certainly a higher profile, you know, step. Uh, but I mean, you know, if I were Arizona State, I know Kenny Dillingham, great year and, and an alum. I might have been kicking the tires on Jeff Trailer. You know, if I if I had a job at a Texas Power Five school, I'd be calling him up and saying, you know, you really think you're going to be at UTSA forever? I mean, he's he's just he's won everywhere he's been, and and the job he's done at UTSA has been really impressive. Yeah, uh, great point. Great point to make. We're going to end it there. Like we said, uh, we're maybe 50-50 on next week, so uh, don't expect it. And if it comes out, it will be a pleasant surprise. That's that's what we'll say uh, for next week. But, of course, we'll be back the following week to talk about some bowls. We got the Heisman ceremony in here somewhere uh, as well. So in w- way, way more transfers uh, to speak about. Of course, uh, Nick will be up to his eyeballs and transfers. Uh, so we'll be talking about all that on the next show. So we appreciate you all. Remember, uh, find us on the Twitter at Bogman Sports for myself, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, at Xavier underscore Trist here, ICHE for Xavier. We will see you guys next time. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. Mm-hmm.